Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So I thought I could share some reflections this evening on um, a few different ways that we can draw on our practice of meditation and the Buddhist path as a resource for all of the uncertainty and uh, chaos and difficulty that um, we are facing individually and uh, as a society and as a, as a planet right now. Um, it's so remarkable. Um, in uh, in so many ways, what we're what we're going through. Um, I was reflecting on the fact that it seems like each generation uh, experiences some kind of dramatic change. You know, that feels like this has never happened before, and it's the world is ending, and it's so unique. <laughs> and uh, and here we are, and uh, and it's true. You know, this has never happened before in quite this time, quite this way. You know, this is something that all of us around the whole planet are experiencing right now together, and uh, it's uh, it's tragic and it's heartbreaking and it's frightening and uncertain uh, and it's an opportunity. It's all of it. And none of us know not only where uh, where it will go, but, you know, we're making it up as we go. None of us know how to do this, you know, in, including uh, these Dharma communities where we're so used to getting together in person and practicing and, and feeling the support of, uh, of a community of someone sitting next to you meditating. And, you know, if you want to get up, it's, you've got people all around you, so I'm just going to keep sitting here. It's harder to do when you're home sitting at your computer screen. And yet... Uh, at the core of this path and this practice is is learning to be with the unknown learning learning to uh to embrace the unknown because that's where learning and transformation comes from the known is always the past anything we know is an idea from the past and what's real is always uncertain it's what's happening right now, which is which is changing and kind of coming into being and and disappearing and transforming even even as it emerges. And this is this has always been the nature of this existence. And um, part of what's so I think challenging and terrifying and beautiful, in a way about what's happening is that the the illusion of constancy and stability has been ripped away and it's like raw and terrifying you know like is there going to be food in the store am i going to be able to get my medicine from the pharmacy or are my parents going to be okay is the hospital going to you know it's it's overwhelming in in many ways and yet here we are face to face with the raw truth of what it is to be alive. 
so how do we respond? Yeah, how do we meet uh, this level of, of difficulty and change in our lives? And we all have our ways of, of coping, some of them healthy and uh, skillful, some of them less less so. I think it's really important during these times uh, to not be too hard on ourselves, particularly when we're on a contemplative path, if we have some aspirations for transformation or healing, awakening, you know, however that occurs for you, we can hold ourselves to such high standards. And it's like, you know, if we eat half a pint of ice cream or disappear into, you know, the the TV series or something for a few hours because we can't deal with what's happening. There can be this way that on top of the pain and the overwhelm and the confusion and the uncertainty and the fear. Now there's this other layer of judgment, this kind of spiritual superego that's saying like, see, I told you, you were never really good at this and you shouldn't. So as much as possible, uh, I think that the beginning is like eh, just giving ourselves a lot of space. We're all doing the best we can uh, with this and um, to not be too hard on ourselves. And to remember the tools that uh, that we do have, to not forget or overlook that particularly if we have been meditating for any amount of time, we have some inner resources. We have something to draw on, and now is the time to draw on those. Um, somebody, somebody posted a quote on social media, I think it was on Twitter, uh, from the Lord of the Rings, from... Uh, this kind of interaction between uh, Frodo, right, who gets the ring, and he's saying, you know, I wish the ring had never come to me. And uh, Gandalf, this you know, kind of old wise wizard figure who says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. That's so apt, right? for the moment we find ourselves in. And it's it's a juncture. It's a juncture that's always been there for each of us. Life is, from the perspective of a dar- the Dharma, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a continually forking road. Every moment is, every moment we are either sowing the seeds of more confusion and fear and, and greed and... Uh, all of the things that keep us bound in a small prison of our own creating and the possibility of shedding those layers and choosing to walk into the unknown with an open heart and curiosity and and taking the opportunity of being alive to learn something and to bring forth our goodness and to free ourselves and be uh, a vehicle for transformation in the world. And so that, that kind of dichotomy every moment is that there's that possibility in the mind and that the reason mindfulness is so important on the path is it's kind of like um, the fulcrum that opens the space to actually perceive oh, there's a choice here. Which way am I going to go? How do I respond? How do I relate to life? Do I continue trying to control and dominate and manipulate 
or do I bring forth the, the good qualities of my heart and, and learn from what's happening? So, you know, and during this pandemic, that choice is so much clearer on every level, personally, interpersonally, socially, collectively, like how are we going to respond, right? Do we, do we hoard? Do we, do, we, do we contract inwards as an individual, as a nation, as a species? Um, or do we reach out? You know, are we able to see, hey, we're all in this together. How can we help each other? You know, do you need more ventilators? Do you need more protective gear? Uh, who, who needs more of this? How do, we, how do we work together as a community? So I want to talk this evening about, um, about three ways, three supports that are available to us in, uh, in this practice, in this path to respond to the circumstances we're living through in a healthy way. And these are kind of the three um, uh, phases of the guided meditation we just did. And so the first of those is, is the capacity to steady the heart, right? This is, the, this is uh, the foundation of so much contemplative practice, even beyond Buddhism, is that, um, that capacity to allow things to rest, and uh, this is this is huge. This is uh, deeply healing and nourishing for us. This is a um, a profound need for human beings to be able to rest. Right? We don't just need sleep. We need sleep physically, but our mind and our heart need rest. Right? Like one of the things that I work with in my own person uh, is uh, balance with work. So I, I enjoy working. I enjoy being creative. I enjoy teaching and writing. And, um, and I've, I've gotten a lot of conditioning in my life as, as a man um, growing up Jewish, where there's a huge emphasis on education and achievement, um, being white, on like accomplishing things and doing a lot. And so it can get out of balance for me. And so I, I, I see how if I don't give not just the body, but the mind and the heart rest periods of time where I'm not doing anything, or I just stare out the window or, you know, futz around, um, the, the vitality and the, the clarity and the aliveness and the joy of creativity isn't there. Our spirit needs rest. And shamatha practice, calming, abiding, steadying, often called concentration practice, but I, I tend to not use that word because it's, it brings in certain connotations that I don't think are helpful of like striving and forcing and concentrating. It's, it's an it's a easing and a relaxing, a resting, a settling. And so this is, this is the beginning of resilience, Right? We need to be able to disengage from whatever it is that's troubling us, whether it's the news and the pandemic or your tensions with your housemate, you know, or uh, the fears in your own mind uh, or some chronic health condition, like whatever it is you're struggling with, we need to be able to put it down for a period of time to, take our, to catch our breath. And so this is the training in shamatha. In the Eight Noble Eightfold Path, 
this this falls under samadhi, sila samadhi panya. Samadhi is the mastery of the mind. It's learning how to use the the the, the consciousness that we have been endowed with intentionally. And so we use an anchor. This is not about avoiding or disconnecting from what's real and what's true. It's about taking a break. It's about stepping back and saying, yeah, yeah, all that's true, all that's going on. I just need a moment, you know? (laughs) And that capacity doesn't need to be half an hour. It can be three seconds in a conversation, right, of like, uh, I think uh, I think I need a second to just gather my thoughts, and we 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 steady we steady the heart. So one of the core skills here is 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 this ability to acknowledge the truth of what's happening without going into it, without getting involved in it. So we turn towards what's what's here, what's present. There's a there's a, a meeting of it. I see you, okay, and I'm choosing to be somewhere else for now. Doesn't mean I never go back there. It just means I'm taking a break. So in, in this, we can allow our nervous system to unwind and to reset in a way. So you know, with everything going on, this is really important, right? Uh, every headline, you know, it, it varies from day to day, but there there were, you know, like a series of days, right, when things were just starting to um, unfold really quickly. It was like every hour there was a new piece of information. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So, you know, being able to disengage from that and let things settle. So this is one resource we have, one of the gifts of this practice that we can draw on. And I think that the, the last thing I'll say about this is um, it's important to not get into a struggle, right? This is, that, this is that art of letting go and beginning again, of whatever it is that keeps knocking on the door. You just say, oh, thanks, come back later. As soon as we get into a struggle, we're just fighting more. So this is the art of learning how to just let everything be. Let all of the madness, all of the distraction, all of the problems and the complexities, just letting it, letting the mess be here and not needing to clean it up for a while, but sitting in the middle of it and just breathing, just being. And then we learn how to... Uh, how to allow our spirit to renew itself because it knows how if we give it the time and the space. Now, if this is all that we do, the danger is that we end up avoiding reality, right? So this this stepping back, withdrawing, Uh, It's called seclusion in the Buddhist uh, uh, path. Um, Is a phase. It's a stage. So you don't stay there, right? So the the common uh, mindfulness instructions that we hear in pop culture of just let go and come back to the breath, and like that's all there is. That's a terrible distortion of this path because that's just one aspect of it. 
that's like, yeah, you, you step back, you let go and come back to the breath so that you can <laughs> see what's happening and figure out what's needed, right? There's a lot more that happens after that. So it's not just about getting more comfortable with the mess. It's about regrouping so we can assess more clearly, all right, what's going on here? How do I, how do I handle this? So the next uh, resource that this path offers to us is the goodness of our heart. And this was that second phase of the meditation that we just did. I think for many of us in the West, I know uh, for myself, uh, certainly for the first decade of my meditation practice, uh, it's really hard to, um, <laughs> to celebrate ourselves to like to acknowledge like hey like i'm a pretty good person you know this is it's all right it's okay to be me and like i've got some good things i can offer i'm not perfect i'm not you know god's gift to anything but hey i've got some i've got some uh some natural beauty in the heart it's not personal it's not like i'm so great it's just like Every tree, every flower, every stone has its own unique beauty. It's part of the whole, and there's goodness there. It's the same for us. So we can start to see that. We can start to appreciate that. And often the way in is, is through the back door. It's often roundabout. We often have to, we have to see it in others. It's like, oh, wow, look at, look at that. Look how, you know, look how gentle she is, or look how honest he is. Look, look how giving that person is. You know, look... Uh, Oh, that's touching, you know? And we start to see the goodness in others. We just begin to attune to that kind of dimension, that layer of human experience. It's like Italo Calvino's book, A Tale of Two Cities. It's one city. And then you can see all the different things that are happening. And you can see the darkness and the greed and the hatred and the violence. It's there. It's real. It's happening. But you can also see the good. You can see the generosity and the compassion and the, you know, the love that's available. So this isn't about avoiding or pretending that there isn't pain in the world. It's about not overlooking the goodness and particularly finding that in our own heart. And so this is about sila. Sila means um, not just ethics, but beauty. It's the beauty of the human heart. Uh, it's called kusala dhamma, that which is uplifting, bright, beautiful in the human heart. And so within this domain are all of the beautiful qualities that we have already that can be developed, like patience and uh, compassion and simplicity and energy and clarity and determination generosity. So, so the, the resource here is it's like, it's often like, it's like hidden because our tendency is to be so hard on ourselves that it's like, I'm this worthless piece of you know what, and everyone else is great or not so great sometimes. But like, how often can we actually see and acknowledge our own goodness? As soon as we start to do that, that there's, there's so much more energy. There's so much more vitality available to share and to give 
and and there's a there's a joy in it because we're participating in life. We're part of the cycle. So this protects the heart. These qualities protect the heart. It's the sense of uh, of care for others uh, and the, and concern for our own well-being, recognizing that, you know, I, I got to take care of me too. And that doesn't mean being selfish and pulling things towards me. It means taking care of this and taking care of this, taking care of the, the body and the heart and the mind and making sure that we are choosing wisely our intentions where we're coming from each day so that we are we are using our time to uh, to make the mind beautiful to make the heart beautiful to uh, to encourage that goodness to let it come out and so here we have the possibility you know today uh, to find ways to be kind there's so much we can't control right now that's so clear and and uh, just just devastating, you know, the, the effects that are rippling across the planet, and some of which perhaps were inevitable, and others which were clearly avoidable, you know, whether it's possibility of preparing more ahead of time, or, you know, governments have... Ha- not taking action quickly enough and people dying every day because of decisions that, that were or were not made. And it's, it's tear, it, it can tear us apart inside. So what can we do? Right? We can grieve, we can mourn, but then we, we, can, we can bring forth our goodness. You know, we can see who needs help. We can donate food, we can give time, we can help a neighbor, we can reach out to a friend. So this is another resource, is uh, that the qualities of our, our own heart, our commitment to, uh, to non-harming, and the potential to act from that place, to engage with the world and bring forth our goodness. There's a famous uh, story about a Korean, I think it's a Korean uh, Zen, Zen teacher. Somebody asked him from... You know, 12th century, 13th century. You know, what what is enlightenment? What's the essence of enlightenment? So that's a pretty good question. Uh, and you would think it's it's going to be some like, you know, vast answer of like immense proportion or some like incredibly subtle, deep philosophical insight. And his response was an appropriate response, an appropriate response. So that stability of the heart and the, the goodness that we, that we touch into and cultivate gives us the support to be here, to help, to respond. Uh, Jack Cornfield was just interviewed in uh, New York Times Magazine. Some of you may have seen the, uh, seen the article. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a really, really wonderful interview. And I want to read one section from it because... He has, he has such a beautiful, eloquent way with words, just, just speaking to this possibility of bringing forth our goodness. He's talking about it in terms of the, the Mahayana ideal of the Bodhisattva. 
A bodhisattva vows to alleviate suffering and bring blessings in every circumstance. They choose to live with dignity and courage and radiate compassion for all. The beautiful thing is that we can see bodhisattvas all around today. We see them in the bravery of the healthcare workers or the unheralded ones who drive the trucks and stock the shelves of our grocery stores so we can all continue to eat. And now it's time to add our part to this great dance. This is what we are here for. It's time to make a vow, to sit quietly, rest your heart, and ask, what is my best intention, my most noble aspiration in this difficult time? If you quiet yourself, your heart will answer. The answer could be simple, I vow to be kind no matter what. Then when you feel lost or confused, take a breath and remember that vow. So I said there were three three things I wanted to share. So first there's this steadying, this capacity to step back, allow things to rest and to settle. There's the beauty, the goodness of the heart, our commitment to non-harming, all of the qualities we can bring forth, and our capacity to do good, to act, to, to be that bodhisattva and, and respond to the need, the very real need that's present in whatever way we each can, whether it's writing a poem or planting a garden or you name it. So the third resource on this path, so there's sila, samadhi, is panya. Panya means wisdom, uh, discernment, seeing clearly. This is called insight meditation. So what is this insight bit, right? It's not just come back to the breath. It's about look deeply at your life and start to see clearly what's actually happening. So the stability of the mind and the goodness of the heart, these are all in service of something else. They're in service of our capacity to understand, to understand ourselves, to understand what it is to be human, and to understand an appropriate response, what's needed here. So there's, there's a lot that can be said here. Insight is, occurs on many different levels. Um, there are different dimensions and facets to it. Personal insight, uh, psychological insight, social, relational insight, um, trans- transcendent insight, the insight of the Dharma. Um, it means that things are revealed to us. The way things are is, is revealed. So, you know, on a personal level, what's, what's, what's true for you? Well, we, can, we can spend days kind of keeping busy, avoiding some feeling of dread. And then we finally sit down to meditate. (laughs) And it's like, oh God, I feel so like keyed up. Wow, this is dread. This is like abject fear. that's That's a kind of insight. Because you're seeing clearly the truth of your experience. We don't like what you, what it is. That's okay. So what's real, right? The uncertainty, the unknown of the future. The reality that 
it's not likely to go back to the way things were. There's, there's not really any going back. You know, this, this will change the whole world. This will change all of our lives. It's not just a little blip and then everything's going to return to normal. So we, we, but we can move forward. There's the possibility of something new being born if we see clearly where we are and we're able to bring forth our own courage and wisdom. There's the understanding, uh, the insight into the, the, the injustice of our, our society's structure, things that have always been there. That's, that's what insight is. Insight isn't something new. As we see differently a new perspective. So, you know, many people today are uh, for the first time realizing the impact of inequality, poverty, uh, and oppression on, on people's lives like health. And, and wellness and the, the, the capacity to thrive and survive physically, physiologically. Right? We see that the virus having such disproportionate impact on the African-American community. That's not by chance. Right? That's directly due to racism and the structure of our society and the fact that you know, when there's vast income inequality and oppression, people's health isn't as good. There's pre- pre-existing conditions. This is a kind of insight when those who were unaware of that previously start to make the connection and go, oh, wow. So the practice here is one of acknowledging the truth uh, moment to moment, again and again. So this is the way it is. This is what's happening. This is what's true right now. And the, the more we can, we can bring the steadiness of the mind and the, the warmth and the, the resilience of the heart to meet the truth of the moment and just stay with that. It's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable, we don't like it, but oh, this is how it is right now, it's uncertain, I'm not sure. You just breathe with that. Something shifts, the, the heart opens, the mind opens, begins to actually, things come into focus more clearly. Instead of the world appearing through the filter of what we want, our preferences, how it should be, how it should be, how it shouldn't be, how we wish it were, how we want to get back to some place else. It comes into focus, oh, but this is what is. This is what's actually happening. And it's from that place of clear seeing that we have the opportunity to move forward, to reach out to one another, to say, okay, what are we going to do here? How are we going to make this work? And we look around and we see that the failure of governments to provide, whether it's you know, healthcare or economic support or um, leadership, uh, hope, you know, who's going who's gonna to offer it? It's us, right? The, the Dharma always begins with, with connection, with finding good people. 
and saying, okay, what do you need? What do I have that I can offer? How are we going to move forward together? So this, I think, is the invitation, is the possibility of this time. But it, it takes the, 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 the Eightfold Path, it takes Sila, Samadhi, and Panya, these three, these three aspects of the path, of the stability of the heart, the, the goodness, um, and the clear seeing, to see the, truly where we are, and, and that the future is not written, it's not known. And so what we do today makes a difference, right? For each of us, how we engage, what we bring forth. There's so much possibility. So I think I'll, I'll stop here for this evening and thank you for your kind attention. How do you truly disengage from what you're struggling with instead of just denying the issue at the time? Uh, I think you have to look to the intention. So um, the action, physically or mentally, might look the same, but it's the intention that matters. And so that's about being honest with ourselves, really listening inside. Why am I doing this? So I like to use the example of um, a child. And the child wants your attention. And the child is talking and crying and you know whatever whatever this child is doing to get your attention so in this analogy the child is whatever you're struggling with it's it's the fear it's the grief it's you know whatever the situation is that's weighing on your heart that's the thorn in your side now we can say to that child you know to heck with you i'm not dealing with this now and go into the other room okay Clearly, the intention is one of avoiding, pushing away. Or we can say to that child, you're important to me. I care about how upset you are. And I need to do this other thing first. So I'm going to leave, and then I'll be back in a little bit, and we'll take care of this. And then you leave. (laughs) Now, whether or not the child understands, that's another question. But where you're coming from inside when you withdraw your attention, that's what's important. It's not the withdrawal. It's the intention and the motivation. So in the practice, the intention is compassion. And and the the foundation is wisdom that says, "Mm, this isn't helpful. It's not helpful to keep staying with this overwhelm, this crushing anxiety, like whatever the feeling is. I need a break. That's what's actually wise and kind right now. So the moving away isn't, isn't one of like, you know, I'm going to blow this thing out of the water and get rid of it. It's, okay, you know, thanks for trying to help me, but I'm just going to take some space and we'll talk later. So you're talking about strength of presence I can muster, strength to point out the beauty in the world. Got that. Awesome. That's great. Strength to confront and change the selfishness, self-righteousness, or greed I see in the world. Not so much. How to not be paralyzed by that. Um, This is about equanimity for me. This is about recognizing the limits of our control. And we can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't engage. It doesn't mean we don't act. It doesn't mean we don't work 
for transformation. But it means that we recognize the thing that we are in the best position to um, affect and transform is our own heart and mind. So, you know, there's enough selfishness and self-righteousness and greed right here in this own mind and body for me to work on for a lifetime. So, you know, like I would encourage um, like the reframing of the question, like what if it weren't our responsibility to transform other people's selfishness and self-righteousness and greed, but rather to transform our own, like just take care of what's here and then use that, use this vehicle to do everything we can to protect the safety and well-being of other of the rest of life. It's like I can't heal and transform other people. Even like this is my work, you know, this is what I do. I teach dharma and I still recognize like that's up to each individual's path to do that work. All we can do is put out what we can and the rest isn't up to us. So, you know, the, the, the subtlety here um, where the Dharma meets um, social transformation is that like that working on our own liberation and transformation doesn't mean we can't still, you know, fight for animal rights and for um, income equality and anti-racist policies and uh, prison reform and, you know, whatever your uh, particular... Uh, causes that you are devoted to. Um, but we release ourselves from the responsibility of handling other people's karma because that's, that's beyond our capacity. I'm used to being able to turn to my practice to steady my mind when I'm anxious, confused, or overwhelmed. I have a daily practice and this weekly Thursday group that I'm used to being able to turn to, but lately my practice has been so noisy. I'm not just finding the quiet. So it's like now that I need it most, I have it the least. Can I say anything about that? Yep. Yep. I was just talking with someone else about this yesterday morning uh, on our Q&A. So you're not alone. Um, this is this is a lot of folks are experiencing this right now. And um, Again, like the first, for me, it's like, wow, right? That's hard. And I think you put it so beautifully when you said, uh, the time that I need it the most, I have it the least. There's, there's this kind of like tragic, heartbreaking uh, truth to that. So in some way, it's like the first response for me is that is that balm of compassion of just like, oh, you know, like this is so hard, <laughs> Why, why can't I get like a moment's peace? And to just have initially just that sense of something holding the longing and the tension and the struggle and the disappointment, the whole mess of it with just this like, oh, sweetheart, you know, this, this is rough. That's one, that's one part of it for me is seeing if you can just pick up that tone because that, that, that makes a shift when there's that tone. The second part is, is an aspect of wisdom, of understanding that part of what you are experiencing is the truth, which is you are experiencing the truth of, uh, of conditions, that we are not in control of the mind, that, the, that, that, that everything is anatta, 
This mind and body are not ours. They don't belong to us. We can't control them. And as conditions change externally, conditions change internally. So as the world goes nuts, guess what? <laughs> Things are going to be a little bit more nuts in here because that's what's going on. So there's this sense that um, the noise inside is a reflection of the truth. It's a reflection of what's happening. So this can actually be the, a condition for insight that you recognize, oh, look at that. You know, I thought I was in control of my meditation practice, but all along it hasn't been me because now look, conditions have changed and I can't push that button and make it happen anymore. And then we start to see how we've gotten attached to calm, how we've gotten attached to quiet. And it's, oh, what's it like to relax and open to noisiness, to distractedness? So the refuge shifts from the content of calm and quiet and peace to the process, the process of knowing the truth of things as they are. This is the Buddha knowing Dhamma. This is, this is, this is the path. The Buddha knows the truth of the way things are. The way things are is noisy for you right now. It's distracted. It's chaotic. There can still be a refuge in the awareness of that when you're not trying to control the experience. So look to see where's the suffering coming from. How much is it in the noise? I'm putting that noise in quotes, right? Because already there's interpretation there. How much is it in the content of your experience? And how much is the suffering, the friction of wanting something that's not happening? and resisting what is happening. And what's it like to sense the infinite space of awareness? The infinite space of compassion that can hold anything. And just, wow, this is what is. This whole display, this whole, you know, mishigas of the mind and the news and my family and all of it. And then there can be a, a quality of peace right in the middle of the chaos that doesn't need anything to change. That's when we start to touch something real in our practice. Because it's not dependent. It's not dependent on concentration. It's not dependent on, um, you know, being able to manipulate our experience and get that feel-good it's not, that the, it's not that the calm isn't useful and nourishing, but it's not the point. The point is the release of awareness from the sense of identity and control. And that's, and that's what's possible for you right now because it's being revealed to you that you're not in control. So I encourage you to stay with it. Keep practicing. Look, look for the cause of suffering. It's not in the noise. It's not in the experience. And the heart can still release. It can still, it can still wake up and be free. Thanks so much, everyone. Hope to see you again down the road. And again, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Chris, for, for the invitation. Take care out there, y'all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.